This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another edition of the Dolphins in Depth podcast. I'm Daniel Yafusi. Thanks so much for tuning in. Quick reminder before we start, make sure to subscribe to the Miami Herald YouTube page. Like, share, comment, all that good stuff, as well as subscribe to the Miami Herald. Now, we are just one week away from the start of training camp for the Miami Dolphins. Dolphins rookies, as well as first-year players from seven other teams are arriving at 13 facilities uh, Tuesday to report ahead of the start of training camp. So we're getting closer and closer to the start of real football for your Miami Dolphins. Uh, We are still uh, previewing training camp, talking all things Dolphins, Dolphins-related items uh, before uh, the real on-the-field work starts Uh Throughout the offseason, throughout uh, the break between uh, OTAs and uh, the start of training camp, I've been bringing on various guests, and I'm very, very excited for this week's guest. Uh, if you're watching on YouTube, you know you know the face. Uh, I'm very, very excited to introduce Travis Wingfield, uh, Dolphins team reporter, as well as uh, the host of the Drive Time Podcast. I've been on the Drive Time Podcast several times, uh, so I'm equally equally excited to bring Travis onto the Dolphins of that podcast. How you doing, man? Yeah, man, I'm trying to cut into the debt that I owe you here as far as podcasts. <laughs> so we're going to get one down here. Uh, thanks for having me on, Daniel. I appreciate it. And, you know, you talked about something there that I'm always uh, curious about with other people that work in the league and, and report in the league and things like that is there, I feel like there's like 12 days where it's like football's back and it's like, once the new league year starts, once free agency starts, once the draft starts, what's your official start of the football season? Oh, man. Opening day? I feel like it's opening day to me. I don't know. I don't know. There's just something about the first day of training camp. It's yeah. like first day of school vibes. I, I, I love that. You know, because, you know, I do I do enjoy this break. But once we once you wake up and you're like, all right, we're going to training camp in Miami Gardens. It's hot as heck out there, but I'm looking forward to it. That's like that's like the real first day. Um, so yeah, we still it's got like about six a- months of it's on every day for six months. <laughs> exactly, we still got a week. Uh, but again, really, really excited. Um, I know I was on uh, the drive time a couple weeks back. We were talking about the defense. Um, so you know, I, I wanted to bring you on because again, um, not a lot of like, t- like like dolphin specific stuff news going on right now um but like like i said some kind of tangentially related stuff um over the past week or so espn has been releasing um their position rankings for every position on the field except special teams i believe um through a poll of coaches execs uh scouts players um and the dolphins were very well represented on this list, which I, I think is a testament um, to a roster that I'm very high on. I know you're very high on. A lot of people are very high on this roster as we enter a season with big expectations. Um, you know, we could go list by, I mean, position by position. I know Christian Wilkins was a um, honorable mention on the defensive tackle list. So was uh, Jalen Phillips for edge rushers, um, Xavier Howard um, as well. Jalen Ramsey landing in the top 10 for the cornerbacks. Um, but but one thing that I really wanted to to highlight that 
was a surprise to me, but not like a surprise in a bad way was uh, Javon Harlan, third year safety landing number five amongst the top safeties in the NFL. And I, and I say that that as a surprise to me only because maybe like I'm kind of in the South Florida Miami bubble and maybe I just I just didn't know that he had that much buzz, you know, across the league. This was a guy that, you know, I've loved his game since uh, his rookie season. You know, that Ravens game on Thursday night was kind of, a, you know, you know, welcoming party when he was just all over the field doing a lot of different things. Um, I think he had a really good second season as well. Um, but to see him at, at number five, like a top five safety, um, I mean, that really just, again, speaks to the respect that he has across the league. And again, I mean, he's already regarded as a fringe top five safety after two years. Um, you know, Vic Banjo, new defensive coordinator, has spoken about how he loves his game and how I think that he could have a true breakout season uh, in year three. Um, you know, what, what are your thoughts on on Javon Holland and kind of what to expect from him in his third season with uh, Vic Banjo? Yeah, I was going to say, I wonder how much of that came off the heels of Vic Fangio saying, like, what do you love about Javon Holland? He's like, what do I not love about Javon Holland, right? Like, everything he yeah. does is is at a, you know, a high level. And I think that coming into last year, he probably had that type of trajectory in terms of the, like, remember Brian Baldinger coming down here and just raving about Javon Holland? Pretty much anyone that came down yeah. to Dolphins camp was like, number eight, he's, he's pretty special now. And I think, Daniel, where the perception you're talking about, maybe where it doesn't match up to what you saw in that number five ranking was last year, we saw all the injuries the Dolphins had at cornerback, and I thought that really put Javon kind of, I don't want to say in a bubble, but he played so much in the post where there were just so many snaps where he didn't have an impact because he's so far away from the football because he kind of had to safeguard that deep part of the field in that man-heavy, you know, zero-coverage type of scheme the Dolphins like to run a year ago. And I just think that if you can kind of unlock him more, I think that's what this defense should be designed to do is to get you know, we've seen Vic Fangio do it with the Niners and with the Bears, Eddie Jackson and the Broncos and Justin Simmons and just gets production out of that safety position. I think if you can really unlock Javon in terms of just utilizing all the strengths he has from not just an or a physical skill set, but anticipation skill set, that's when you can really see him take off. And, you know, I know we're not talking about Madden ratings, but I never comment on Madden ratings, but I almost did earlier this week because I saw he had an awareness of like 84. And I was yeah. thinking to myself, I'm going to talk to Daniel tomorrow and I'm going to ask Daniel, how many times have we seen him in practice, like <laughs> drop into a certain, you know, coverage and then peel off somewhere else out of his responsibility and make a play on the football. I don't know about that ranking, but number five safety sounds about right to me. So I was happy to see him get pretty high up that list. Yeah, you, you speak to how, how much he played in, in the post um, as a deep safety compared to his rookie season just because of the injuries and the responsibilities changing. One of the things I was talking about with, with a, a group of friends um, yesterday and over the past couple of days is we've been kind of like just discussing the rankings. Um, you know, I've, I've, you know, a bunch of beat writer friends across the NFL that, you know, obviously cover different teams. So they have different perspectives. Um, but, but one of the things that you can't really quantify is like, you know, a lot of times you you see people do kind of box score dialogue. You know, you just look at the stat sheet, say, all right, they have this many interceptions, this many tackles, this many sacks. This is the type of player they are. But one of those things that you can't really quantify, especially for a guy like Holland is, you know, how many plays he actually prevents the deep plays that he prevents just because of his of his range, his ability to cover uh, the entire field and opposing offenses and quarterbacks just not throwing the throwing the ball. I mean, there's just like no quantifiable measure for that. And that's one of those things that um, maybe doesn't always show up um, on the, the the box score, but on the tape, it does. So, you know, we're, we're like I said, we're both really high um, on, on Javon. I, I think that it could be a really, really big year for him. Like you said, with, you know, the trying to kind of track record and the history that Vic Banjo has uh, with safety. So top five, um, you know, again, 
maybe, you know, really, really can't say he, he's one of those guys who's in the dark because, you know, top five. I mean, this is a this is a yeah. holistic poll of, you know, different uh, people across the NFL. So, you know, shout out to Javon for that. Um, uh, another thing I wanted to bring up is just the number of, uh, of guys who didn't weren't just named top 10, but were like fringe top 10 guys and I'm really looking at who maybe was in the honorable mention receiving votes or maybe wasn't didn't even receive votes that could be in that uh that top tier group um the, the next year and to me I think two guys stand out um that that being uh Christian Wilkins and uh Jalen Phillips again those you know in their respective position groups they were you know in the honorable mention uh group I, I'm going to quickly read what um what someone had to say about Christian Wilkins as well as uh, Jalen Phillips. One moment. So again, uh, defensive tackles, honorable mention, Christian Wilkins was the the first player named uh, and a high-ranking NFL official told ESPN. Uh, he's a complete pair, player, versatile, rugged, tough, high motor. And and that's, I mean, that's the perfect way to, to describe Christian Wilkins. I mean, uh, the the impact that he's had specifically against the run and just being able to shoot gaps over the past few seasons. I mean, you you could say, I mean, you know, there's guys who are flashier. You know, maybe they have the the, the stats, but it, but even Christian leading the the his position group in tackles the past two seasons, you know, setting records for tackles uh, from for a defensive tackle. I mean, you could say like he is one of the most disruptive run stuffers or not only say run stuffers, just run defenders in the nfl well i mean what, what have you seen from his uh playing really his maturation because obviously i've been i'm entering my third year on the beat um but, but you've watched him from his rookie season where, where have you seen him really growing the most yeah i think you know he's he's always been so process driven process oriented in terms of his regimen i think that he's just really committed and found what works for him in terms of how to get himself ready how to you know, allow himself to be able to play what was like 85% of the snaps last year, which is just yes. an ungodly amount for a player in down in the trenches. I mean, that, you just don't see that very often. And, uh, and over a thousand snaps last year, if you can include the playoff game and that doesn't necessarily take into account all the stuff. Like you talk about context, like we don't always have context for this stuff, right. Without watching the tape, but all the times he retraces a screen or gets out wide after a quarterback breaks the pocket and flags him down. It's just relentless energy. Like you mentioned, and you know, the way he produced in the in the back part of the season, those last five or six games, he was unblockable at times, Daniel. Like I one gap, two gap, you know, if he's playing head up over the the tackle or the guard or kicking inside to a, a one tech, like it just didn't really matter. I think that uh, you know, maybe the pass rush, I think there's two reasons why he wouldn't be in the top ten there. Number one is the group of defensive tackles they have right now in the NFL is maybe the best position in the league in terms of just the overall talent. And then two, the pass rush stats haven't quite been what the run game stats have been, because I think if you look at run stuff and he might be, he might be the Top best. Of the league. Yeah. 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 In terms like of run stops. Very good yeah. argument for that. Uh, yeah. As far as the maturation and growth, like, I don't know that anything pops off the, the page at me because it's just been so linear every year. He's gotten so much better and that's not how it always works. Right. But for him, he's just taken a little bit more each year. I think to me, that's a, a real testament to his dedication to the craft and the way he's so process driven. Yeah, for sure. And then, you know, going on to the, the, 
other player that I mentioned, Jalen Phillips, he was as well as uh, Christian, the, the first player, the first edge rusher listed in the honorable mention group. Um, and an a AFC executive told ESPN he has huge upside. He was raw coming in, but a big athlete and he plays his butt off. We're going to keep it Fiji here, expecting a huge year from him. So again, you know, Jalen Phillips, 15 and a half sacks over his first two years. Um, I think that for me, where he showed the, a lot of the growth in the second year was becoming that every down player, you know, you know, sometimes having uh, you know, issues against the run. And maybe that really, I think that kind of limited his snaps as a rookie. But, you know, if you speak to position coaches and, um, you know, uh, players around him, he really did work on becoming an all, all around player. I mean, he physically, he's always been, you know, like a proto, the prototype, um, but really marrying that to, you know, the on the field, having a plan. Um, you know, he again, he's one of those guys where, you know, sometimes the box score doesn't, doesn't show. I mean, you know, he didn't have as many sacks in his second year as, as his rookie year. But there was no denying the impact that he made. And again, you know, sacks aren't the end all be all. Um, but, you know, if you're watching the tape, there, there's no doubt that, you know, he was, you know, arguably the Dolphins most disruptive defender, especially um, like similar to Christian. You know, the end, end of the year is when he was really playing his best ball. I look at uh, the pass rush productivity almost like you do with uh Batting average on balls in play in baseball. And I apologize to the audience who's not big into baseball. I make those references. In the That's podcast. me. So you got me lost already. <laughs> so it's essentially what they're trying to do is, is even the playing field in terms of, you know, how lucky are you compared to how good you are when they put the ball in play. And when it comes to a pass rusher, you can't control how fast the ball is coming out of the quarterback's hand. And I thought, you know, I think he had 28 QB hits last year, Daniel, and like 70 something pressures. And I can't, I lost count of how many of those, you know, pressures and hits were results of the quarterback getting the ball out in two, maybe even less than two seconds. So he he yeah. can't control that. All I can do is go beat the tackle in front of him. Or like you mentioned, the running game, you know, I think a big testament to where he improved in that area shows up in his ability to rush from the three tech and, and go up over a guard, you know, because he did a lot of that yeah. last year that helped free up, you know, Ogba when he was healthy, then eventually Bradley Chubb too. But I think if I had to pick a, a breakout player on the Miami Dolphins in terms of the national spotlight, because I thought last year he was so productive and so valuable to this defense. It would have to be Jalen Phillips because of the things you mentioned, the the makeup, the pedigree, uh, the the effort he plays. If they talk about Christian Wilkins' effort, man, there was several times last year, like I, I think back to the Packers game where Rodgers got out of the pocket and it looked like he was going to have a first down. And here comes 15 from the other side of the field, you know, chasing him down and cutting him down short of the stick. So he, the way he plays, the physical makeup, the way he he works, it's 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 very similar to Christian Wilkins to me in terms of just how they've kind of you know developed their games, and I I see a similar trajectory in terms of I just think every year it's going to get better and better and better. Yeah, one of the things I'm really excited about with the defensive front and just the arrival of Vic Bangio is I think that you know we talked about how different of a scheme is going to be kind of conceptually, um, and I think that last year, I mean, I mean, even over the past couple of years, you know, the Dolphins have been being have been known for being you know an aggressive, blitz happy team, and I think that at some point teams like you know teams are prepared and you know they they make changes, and I think part of the adjustment from the opposing teams was getting the ball out quicker. So a lot of times, uh, you know, that's why when you look at like some of these deeper level stats, you'll you'll see like the Dolphins pass rush win rate, you know, the, which ESPN defines as, you know, how quickly defenders beat their blockers um, in 2.5 seconds. Um, in most cases, the Dolphins had a lot of players registered pretty highly on, on that metric. It's just that opposing quarterbacks were getting the ball out so quickly. So now you add, uh, you know, you, you add Jalen Ramsey to this defense, you add a kind of conceptually different defense that forces quarterbacks to hold the ball a little bit longer, you know, a half second is a lot of times the difference between, you know, a pressure, a sack, a strip sack, you know, and you, and you having a big play. So um, I, I really do, you know, I agree with you. I just have a, 
really high hopes and high expectations for Jalen Phillips in, in year three. I think this is the year where the, it shows up on the box score. I think they were third behind Dallas and Philly, if I'm not mistaken, in terms of team pass rush win rate which you know you see on twitter it's like how the hell is that the case when you know they didn't have the sacks or the defense allowed x amount of points it's like yeah i i challenge people to go back yeah. and watch that jets number game. three it was a, a brutal watch but there were so many plays where flacco was like getting blasted and the ball he's like parallel <laughs> to the ground and the yeah, ball somehow, comes. The somehow gets <laughs> craziest game i've ever seen in my life in that regard and that was a lot yeah. of Jalen phillips getting after quarter the quarterback in that game and it was a microcosm of me to the rest of the season yeah i was gonna say i was i was, I was actually watching some uh some dan feeney I believe I think, I think it was Feeney um yeah. film and 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 not only did he did Phillips stand out but Christian again in that game just you know just being dominant on the defensive line so yeah two guys on the defensive front that we have high expectations for um wrapping up the position rankings we got to talk about QB1 Tua Tungabaloa and he didn't rank among the top 10 but again he was one of the honorable mention um uh players in this list um and again um we know the stride that he made in year one under Mike McDaniel, leading the NFL and passer rating, throwing a career high 25 touchdowns. Um, and well, I was, I, I didn't know this, you know, reading this, he, even out of the pocket, he led the NFL in QBR. Um, but what the NFL coordinator said, you know, I, I think what, what was really, uh, really telling, he said, I thought the first six, seven weeks of the season last year, he could have been the MVP. I was impressed with his growth. Um, head injuries are complicated, but I like the direction he's headed. Um, and then another AFC, AFC executive went on to say he's got very good timing, touch, anticipa anticipation, and accuracy, along with good pocket feel. Um, top mobility and arm strength um, may not be at the top of the league, um, but he's a true point guard who needs to, uh, who gets the ball out quickly and distributes it to his playmakers, uh, which he's done a good job of. You know, a lot of those things we've seen, the accuracy, the anticipation, uh, the feel in the pocket, um, you know, entering, you know, going into year one with Mike McDaniel, I was of the mindset that, you know, I was very bullish and, you know, very, you know, high on what he was going to be able to do with this offense just because of the the track record and um you know of this Shanahan style um scheme that we've seen with you know Jimmy Garoppolo and others over the years um but I, I don't know I mean truthfully I don't I don't know if anyone could have expected you know some of like the 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 high point flash moments that we've seen I mean even you know the the six touchdown passes uh in, in uh, against the Baltimore Ravens um the, the stretch that he had um in October and November when he was quite literally like the most efficient quarterback in the NFL just pinpoint um accuracy I I was reading Warren Sharp Warren Sharp's football preview um and reading the, the Dolphins chapter and uh and, the, and even before then there's a um there's a chart of all where all the quarterbacks from last year are ranked and you look at two and it's number one number yeah. three <laughs> number four number five number six and, and I say that all to say like where where does he where's the next room for growth with Tua because I mean when you're top five in so many metrics it seems like you can't really improve uh, much but I think the cool thing about Tua's position is that I think that there is like a lot of room for growth like McDaniel mentioned it with himself in the offense like as good as the offense was there's so many things that they can do to be even better for you I mean what is what does that look like um in in year four uh for him year two of this offense growth well, I, I think we can kind of tease the play caller segment here a little bit. And talk about <laughs> yeah. What Jordan Rodriguez mentioned with the way Kyle Shanahan and obviously, you know, the rest of that tree kind of devises their concepts where they draw the play up on the whiteboard and then they use different colors to to build variations off of that. And, you yeah. know, we'll talk about this and they built off of how, you know, once you run a play, like now the whole league has it on tape and you have to kind of 
you know, adjust to their adjustment to your original play call. So I think that when you get into the second year of this offense, and I've, I've tracked this stat, Daniel, going back on my podcast, uh, tracking back to the Atlanta days, the San Francisco days, the Washington days, every time Kyle Shanahan and, and Mike McDaniel, who's with him, you know, arrived in a new place, that second year saw a massive jump in offensive production. And I think it's because they can get into the deeper portions of the playbook, you know, the third, fourth, fifth variation of a concept or a passing play. And I think that's where you've really seen Tua take ownership of his career, of this offense, of the team in general, the organization as the guy. And he's he's definitely you know been empowered to do that by his head coach. I think I think was such a valuable asset uh, to the Dolphins offseason last year was Mike McDaniel being like, dude, you're the guy. You're my. You're, I've built this team in a way. You know, Tyreek Hill. I wanted to maximize your strengths as a passer. I think the Dolphins did that, you know, in a really strong way and came back this year and, and got even better in that regard. So I think for Tua, you know. You mentioned some of the things like everyone wants to talk about the things he can't do, right? He's not going to throw the ball 80 yards off of his knees. He's not going to, you know, run directly to his right and zip the ball like a shortstop back across the field. And that's okay. That's that's like 2% of plays that happen in the NFL ever. So it's not the things that consistently win for guys. And I think that where Tua can really, you know, just take his game to the next level is he, he did the hard stuff. You mentioned those stats that Warren Sharp posts, which... I always get a kick out of those things because people want to discredit it because like I saw one yesterday, like Daniel Jones is in the grouping. So therefore it's not a legitimate stat. It's like, but yeah, so so was Burrow and Hertz and Herbert and, you know, Josh Allen, Mahomes, all these guys that everyone loves. I think that for Tua, like he's done the downfield, the intermediate attacking to Tyreek and Jalen and, you know, Trent Sherfield last year and River Craycraft, but maybe just be a little more willing to take, you know, the check down, take what's less there and get the ball out of your hands, obviously stay healthy because, you know, you talk about the discourse around Tua last year. A lot of folks said he couldn't play, Daniel. Like this guy couldn't yeah. play the position, right? The number five yeah. overall pick in the draft, a guy that everyone's talking about his first year in college that everybody was swooning over. All of a sudden he can't play the position. Now you've seen that conversation shift towards, well, if he stays healthy and that's, you know, that's legitimate. I get it. He's, he's, there's a lot, time. there's a lot of goalpost movement. I will say, it's, I mean, I'm, it's, the, it's there's a lot of goalpost movement. You know, we could, we could have an entire, we could talk all day about Tua. Um, you know, I mean, if you're, if you're asking me, I think he's a lot closer to, to top 10 than, you know, kind of being the last guy I mentioned in the honorable mention section. Um, and I keep on saying it like, I, I you know, I kind of came to Miami not like I didn't I don't watch a ton of college football, so I didn't really have like a lot of preconceived notions or biases about two. I just saw a guy who, you know, with, you know, a lot of, you know, kind of moving parts around him the first two years and, you know, maybe not the ideal, most ideal situation, just go out there and, and play hard. And, you know, he, he wasn't great his first two years. I mean, he he. Uh, you know, himself said sometimes he struggled with the playbook, you know, he's coming back from injuries and whatnot. Um, but but even, you know, my first year was was the 2021 season. And I, I was impressed by some of the things that, that he did in terms of the accuracy um, and just making the most out of what maybe wasn't the most ideal situation. And then, you know, you you get more stability around him, you know, some some more empowerment and, and you see what he, what he can do. Um, you know, you're really seeing him. And I, I just feel like, you know, not only on the field, but kind of like overall, like he's like he's he's not much, you know, He's not, I'm not much older than him. So it's just the overall maturation, not only as like a football player, but as a person and just kind of being more comfortable in your own skin. And, and, and we spoke about this last year and, you know, kind of watched it, but there is something to be said about just feeling more comfortable in your own yeah. skin and the way that kind of goes into the, the, the way you perform and whatnot. Um, so again, we're, you know, we're, we're, I'm very bullish on this team, as you can tell. I mean, and Tua is one of those guys who, again, um, I, I think that, you know, the ability is not the question. You know, I expect big things for him in 2023. That's, that's right. why, you know, I listened to the around the NFL podcast, NFL media's main, main show. And 
like I said, like, you know, this time last year, it was, you know, they're going to go as far as Tua can take them. And then, like you mentioned, he's in the MVP conversation really up until the, you know, the injury at the end of the season. And uh, now I, I'm listening to that same podcast and they're talking about, is he the 10th or ninth best quarterback in the NFL? So it's like, right. he's that, that's, that's amazing to, to go from, we don't know, yeah. to go to, to like legitimately question whether he's a starting caliber quarterback right. to say he's in the conversation for one of the best 10 quarterbacks. I mean, that, that that that's pretty telling. And again, I think there's, there's a lot of goalpost movement because a lot of people that don't <laughs> want to admit they were wrong about yeah, him. Yeah, so you kind of start to change the the discussion. Like he could play, <laughs> he could play. Um, you know, I'm excited to watch him. This coming. And, and Jordan on that, Jordan was on that podcast. Jordan Rodriguez, and she said that her hot take was she believes that if Tua does stay healthy, which is the caveat, right? And we, I, I think yeah. it goes without saying at this point. But if he does. She said that she would put him into that elite tier. Like he, she would replace one of the guys they had in the elite tier with two because she thinks that he's ready to take that step. And yeah. I, I think he is too. Not most definitely, most definitely. All right, we're going to take a short break, but when we come back on the other side of things, this Travis kind of foreshadowed, kind of teased. Uh, we're going to talk about that great narrative podcast, uh, the play callers, uh, the Shanahan style offense, the Shanahan coaching tree, um, and give our thoughts. Um, on that, McDaniel's comments, uh, as well as Marshall, stay locked with us. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. What's going on, everybody? Still here on the Dolphins and that podcast, talking all things Dolphins with Travis Wingfield, my special guest. Now, in the first half, we were talking about uh, the latest ESPN positional rankings, um, holistic polling of coaches, scouts, execs, players on where uh, the top 10 players at each position in the NFL, as well as, you know, players that are right on the outskirts of that. The Dolphins, as I said before, were very well represented um, in that list. Um, in the second half, I want to shift gears to a phenomenal narrative podcast um, that was uh, conducted by Jordan Rodriguez of The Athletic. Um, if you haven't listened to it, it's called The Play, Ca Play Callers. Uh, repeat, The Play Callers. Um, everywhere you can get podcasts, I would uh, very highly recommend you listen to that. It includes um, you know, focus on the Shanahan coaching tree, the Shanahan style offense that has really sprouted all across the NFL and is well represented, um, you know, you know, really starting from Mike Shanahan um, and you know, his son, Kyle Shanahan, um, and kind of, again, kind of the, the the sprouting of that with Mike McDaniel, Sean McVay, um, uh, Mike LaFleur, excuse me, Matt LaFleur, as well as many others. Um, where, do, where, do, where do you even start with that? You know, five episodes. Um, I, I thought one thing that stood out to me was just the, the overarching notion, notion that um, nothing that all these coaches are doing is like it's not like they're 
it's not like they're creating something completely brand new, but it's the innovative twist and the con the continuing of evolution of a core concept. So you have that Shanahan style offense with the West Coast, um, you know, passing schemes, um, uh, the zone running uh, concepts. Um, and the different ways that it can be put together. Um, and, you know, I think that, you know, it starts, you know, obviously with the Denver Broncos, um, but then, you know, uh, with the Houston Texans and uh, Mike McDaniel being a QC there, and, you know, some of the cool stuff, like he designed a program in 2006 where, you know, you know, to put the whole offense together where you could kind of go back and uh, look at the offense. And then you, they kind of fast forward to um, the, the now uh, Washington commanders and just the intense competitiveness with all those guys there. Um, and then everyone starts to kind of uh, go to their own different spots. And now with Mike McDaniel uh, with uh, the Miami dolphins. Um, I, I mean, I wrote about this, you know, before the San Francisco 49ers game last December, I believe it was, but it, it has been cool to see. And Trent Sherfield spoke to this as well, well when I interviewed him for the story, but the way that McDaniel put his own flavor on, you know, that Shanahan style offense, because again, you know, for so, you know, he's, working his way up as a QC and then he's, you know, a run game coordinator and offensive coordinator. Um, and, you know, he's Mike speaks, Mike McDaniel speaks about the different ways that he's, um, you know, just trying to, you know, be of, be resourceful, be of value and, you know, provide input. You know, he talks about how, I um, mean, he, um, uh, worked with Chris Forster to really hone the run game because that's where he saw that he could really make an impact. And, a lot of people, I think we entered the first year thinking, all right, well, this is going to be a run-based offense. So they're going to run 30 times a game because Mike McDaniel is a run game corner. It's like, no, this, this yeah. isn't just, uh, this isn't just kind of some kind of run game branding. This is like a legitimate football coach. And one of the things that stood out to me because he mentioned it to you in the first interview that he conducted after he was named head coach um, was the idea that on offense, you're always trying to manipulate the defense. It's not just about executing the offense. But what can you do to stress the defense and manipulate the uh, the defense? And there were two examples that stood out to me um, in terms of, you know, the constant evolution. One was, I believe uh, they were talking about when uh, it was RG3's rookie year um, and the and. McDaniel himself said that that's the year that he really think that he contributed more than, you know, McVeigh, LaFleur, because he was doing so much with the run game. And, you know, they were doing such innovative stuff with zone read and pistol. And he talks about how teams had kind of started to catch on to that. And I guess they were uh, they were kind of overloading um, to the strong side of the tight end and how he called an in-game. He kind of made it this in-game audible where I'm not going to lie. It was a little, it was a little, it was a little too in the weeds for me. And, I, and yeah, and I'm, I'm a football guy. I'm, a, I'm an excellent yeah. nose guy. It's a little too early, but essentially he had a uh, um, um, uh, in-game adjustment, an in-game um, audible to kind of counteract the over overloading to, to the strong side. And McDaniel was like, that was the first time that I thought, oh, like that was kind of his like eureka moment. Like, oh, like I'm for I can do this. Like I'm for real. And then he and then he goes on to mention how um the week of preparation for the Christmas Day game against the Packers, you know, they had had a certain way of always doing the bootlegs. Like you, you know, you fake it and then you roll out. But you know, because the Packers were playing their defensive ends so far, so far out wide. Um, you know, that wouldn't be as, as effective. So he thought, okay, we're going to scratch the the role and we're just going to have Tua, you know, stay where he is after, kind of stay in the pocket where he is uh, after the fake. And then that was the play that, you know, they they got the the long 
touchdown pass to uh, to Jalen Wilder, the long catch and run. Um, all that is to say, I, I left listening to the play callers, and I'm thinking there's no way that Mike McDaniel isn't going to have answers uh, for you know whatever adjustments teams have made and are planning to make. Because obviously you have off you have a full off season of tape on this Dolphins offense that you know kind of caught everyone by surprise and was you know. Throughout the, throughout the season, one of the most big play efficient units in the league. Um, obviously, there was a, a stretch late in the season, you know, games against the San Francisco 49ers, against the Chargers, where the offense chipped up a bit. And you saw defensive start to make some some various adjustments, whether it was the linebackers getting more depth, the cornerbacks um, playing more press and whatnot. Um, but I left I, le- I just left the podcast thinking like there's no way that, you know, they don't find answers like the players are too good. Um, you know, when you when you listen to the stories of these players, these I mean, to, of the coaches, these coaches are like too driven. They spend way too much time obsessed. Like I can't even imagine how much time McDaniel is probably spending yeah. watching film and thinking of answers. Um, but but just the constant evolution, like this offense isn't necessarily going to be like 180 degrees different. But I'm just so excited to see the wrinkles that they incorporate uh, in year two. I mean, what were your thoughts on the podcast and especially uh, McDaniel's kind of portion? Yeah, just first real quick, though, I I think it's funny how, you know, the Dolphins seem to get so docked for their slump they went through, right? Because every team does that every year. Like every single player goes through a stretch where they're not playing like they were at their at their peak because no one sustains their peak unless you're like Tiger Woods or Michael Jordan, right? I think it's it's crazy. Like Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs lost a game in Indianapolis last year. That stuff happens in the National Football League. So um, but you you kind of walked me into the part that uh, my was my biggest takeaway from the podcast was McDaniels I just like, I've always known that he gets it because we're around him every day, you know, when you're fortunate enough to be around him as well every day uh, with press conferences and just see how he interacts with the media and just how he sees the game and how he can give you these really golden answers most of the time. But I just thought he got it from what you talked about with that in-game adjustment, talking about that, that I think it was the Washington Dallas week 17, like winner in loser, go home game. And he said they were overloading the front side. And he was like, Hey, if we can just get to the backside, you know, the not tight end side of the formation, we can really exploit the way that they're overplaying this. And all of a sudden they're going to have to adjust to that. And then we can re readjust to that. And yeah. um, that was kind of his coup de gras. And then you talk about the, the Packer game and the, the 84 yard touchdown to Waddle, like to change that play on the fly. And to understand that Tua with a a rusher in his face has the ability to kind of drop the arm angle and sling that thing out there and put in a position for one of the best playmakers to to go make a play. And he he sure is. That was a crazy play. That was a crazy play. There's there's so much involved. You can see the way Tua is reading the field. There's a whole lot that goes into that, but that's for another podcast. Um, (laughs) But just the humility that he just displayed where he talked about You'd have to be an absolute. I loved how he he bragged a little bit about his coming out party with that Washington game, but then also talked about the humility that he or just displayed the humility, I should say, um, and in regards to, you know, you'd have to be kind of a fool to to be to think that you're the one that's making it all click as the play caller because we have great play calls that don't work and trash play calls that do work all the because time in this great, league. Because of, because of great players that just make the, the trash play calls work. Yeah. And what does he have in two receivers here that are two of the best in the business? And uh, I, I just, I think it makes a ton of sense. I think the way that 
those adjustments that he's able to make in those instances and the way he spoke to us, I don't know if it was right after the season, Daniel, or when he came back for OTAs, I think he talked about it both times about how he, he felt he had a, a hundred things that he had to improve upon and every rookie head coach should feel that way. I mean, I, I think that's, that's comes with the, the territory. Like this is a tough job and uh, it's all encompassing. You're not just focusing on, you know, how's the front side play in this run, you're head coaching the football team. So you can't just, you know, be singularly focused like that. So for him to get maybe a, a broader view, a more world, view of his entire operation to go back and see where it didn't really click necessarily. And I think, you know, using the word operation conveniently there, the operation was one area that they can improve and getting play calls in faster, making sure they're not, you know, pressed up against the play clock and, and not just, you know, trying to get the snap off with, without that sense of urgency, like we got to go, but not taking flags as well and, and getting, you know, misaligned and all that stuff. So I think that my biggest takeaway from it was that this is a guy who understands the game at a level that I just don't think many people do and and just life maybe and like situational, yeah. like self-awareness. Um, and I think that he will t- take that trait and and take it back to the drawing board to what didn't go right among things that uh, many things that did go right in 2022 and be able to adapt to those things. And that, that was my biggest takeaway was just seeing like, this is a guy that clearly understands, you know, strengths and flaws and weaknesses and how to, you know, raise the, raise the weaknesses solidify the strengths and, and hopefully the Dolphins are the beneficiary of that because I think that he's in a great position to to really put his stamp on this offense this year and, and even take it another I mean number six offense in the league last year with all those injuries. Like that's yeah. that's really impressive. I think that they they can go even higher this year if, if things go the right way. Yeah, I don't know if it was him or someone else that mentioned that, you know, again, going back to kind of the, the late season kind of hiccup, um, you know, against the 49ers, the the Chargers and to an extent uh the, the Packers. Um I don't know if it was him or someone else that so, one of the speakers mentioned that, you know, the when McVay came onto the scene with the Rams, I mean, they they were just killing the game with, you know, kind of the bunch sets and the, yeah. the zone with Todd Gurley and whatnot. And um, you know, uh I believe the so I believe it was a Bears game against the when Banjo was defensive coordinator, I believe that's what it was when he kind of tripped them up. And then Bill Belichick in the Super Bowl took that game plan and kind of used that as a template to trip them up. And it took them a year to kind of get back to, to that point. You know, obviously, you know, they made the trade for for Stafford um, and and sent Jared Goff to the Detroit Lions. But it 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 did take a bit of, you know, re-innovation and a bit of evolution to what they do on offense. So they did change that offense a bit um, to, to get back to that point. So I say that to say, you know, Again, I think that I, w- I was very impressed by the way they bounced back against the Bills game. And then obviously yeah. the Packers game was kind of, you know, it was kind of three games all in one um, with, with, with whatnot. And, and I do think that there were significant, you know, changes just in, you know, a week, two week spam. Um, so, again, you have the, uh, you know, the entire offseason, like you said, to go to the drawing board. I think that a lot of the additions that they made on offense, you know, were to kind of counteract some of the struggles that they've seen. Um, I, I think we've seen, I think I, I saw it early on in, in OTAs and minicamp, you know, um, you know, we all know two is so successful and so good in that intermediate part of the field. But like you said, just kind of taking the check down, you know, just, uh, working parts of the field um, that offenses maybe don't pay enough attention to because they're focused on, you know, getting beat deep and getting beat over the middle of the field. And I think whether it's, you know, Robbie chosen and he had a great offseason workout program, whether it's Devon uh, a chain and the things he can do potentially as a receiver, I think that they made additions to this team that will allow them um, to not only improve, but evolve. It's not just about improving. It's about involving it. And, and I don't think that it's one of those things that it's necessarily going to be shown on the, um, you know, on the final season rankings, because again, when you're top five, top 
10 like it, it, it is hard it, it is hard like like you're playing like mcdaniel says it all the time all the time like the other team is getting play uh getting paid as well so i don't think necessarily we're going to see like a jump from six to two or whatever it may, uh, may may be or maybe i don't know maybe maybe they do drop maybe a a, a ranking or two but i think situationally and that's what's big for me situationally i think that they're going to be able to do some things that maybe we didn't see last year whether that's you know the short yarded situations and working the ball in different parts of the field yeah, you talked about earlier, I think in the first segment about manipulation of the defense and, you know, how McDaniel wants to attack an opposing defense with where they're vulnerable and, you know, things of that nature. Uh, I think the Niners game was a good example of that because I think I think Fred Warner came out after that game and said, like, we knew we had to get depth in those drops because Tyreek and Jalen are so dangerous, you know, on those digs, those deep those kind of deeper in cuts in behind the linebackers. And all that does is it expands, right? And that's the, that entire podcast was about creating space and defense's responsibility is to remove space and, and condense things. And I think that, you know, you talk about the check down, you, you give more emphasis to a player like J- Devon H chain catching a short pass because you miss a tackle. It's got the speed to, to, to make you really pay for that. Or, you know, getting the tight ends more involved in the passing game. I think we saw the way this tight end room was kind of constructed in a way that's, you know, emphasis on good blocking and, and maybe situational pass catching, uh, kind of adding that extra offensive lineman into the formation. I just think that they're, they're going to have more of a second pitch this year is my estimation. Like the, the Tyreek and Jalen, 3000 yards is awesome. And I hope it happens again. I could see it happening again, but to be able to, you know, force teams to take that away and then open up something else, uh, an entirely new vulnerability. If you can do that, all of a sudden defenses are scrambling to figure out how the heck do we defend these guys? Because they have an answer to our adjustment to their, to their bread and butter. And now like we have to answer that because they can just nickel and dime us all day. And we, you know, we, again, talking about great offenses, we saw Patrick Mahomes really change the way he played the game last year yeah. and take that short stuff. And, and, and they were a Super Bowl champion because of it. So uh, I'm not saying that's an easy comparison or carry over there, but like it, there's money in the banana stands as it were, like you take the short stuff, take the check downs and, and get the football into playmakers hands and just make the defense defend more space. I think that's the Dolphins. If they can do that, they can be even better this year. Yeah, it's a constant cycle of adjustments, yeah. readjustments, you know, getting back to what you like so to much. do and just kind of working off variance. I got to say, I, I was, you know, over the years, I've been kind of like more of a defensive guy. I don't know, like when I played Madden, I loved, you know, just stop because, you know, everyone loves scoring points, but I, I just always like loved, uh, you know, figuring ways to stop. Maybe it's also my Baltimore roots watching the Ravens over the years yeah. and whatnot. But, you know, just like this past year with McDaniel, just the different things. And, you know, I've learned so much about offense, um, you know, just kind of listening to him. I'm really excited to see um, what he and this unit does in 2023 uh travis we could have went the entire I day <laughs> now, i wanted i wanted to keep it short speedy to the point i know uh-huh. we're gonna t- yeah but i know we're gonna <laughs> talk a lot over the next couple of weeks and, and next months um but i want to thank you so much uh for joining me on the dolphin the dead podcast i want you know i'm sure 99 of my listeners listen to you but you know yeah. if they don't i want you to go ahead and and, and plug everything that, that you all the great work that you do yeah man i appreciate having me on looking forward to getting you up there uh back in the stands for practice i Love watching those with you. The uh, four four eyes is better than two, so I appreciate having you alongside me there. You mentioned the Draft Time podcast. I'll be having daily uh, post-practice podcast on that, written pieces up on MiamiDolphins.com, and you can follow me on Twitter, my last name, at WingfieldNFL. Must follow, must watch, listen, read, all that good stuff. Uh, Thank you you so much, Travis, for joining me on the Dolphins of That podcast. Uh, That brings us to the end of another edition of the Dolphins of That podcast. As always, thanks so much for listening. Make sure to subscribe to the Miami Herald YouTube page, like, share, comment, as well as subscribe to the Miami Herald. Uh, We're going to have a ton of training camp uh, previews, what to watch out for um, as 
rookies report today, and we have vets reporting next week ahead of the first practice. We'll be back next week uh, to look into storylines on both sides of the ball as we get right into training camp. But until then, you guys take care and talk to you soon. Bye.